Hey guys, welcome, welcome, welcome back to Tell Me About It and welcome back to just more wedding conversation because it's all I can fucking talk about. Like I am sick of myself, you guys. It's truly the only channel available. If you want to talk to me, somehow all roads lead to the wedding. It's almost a magic trick at this point, how impressively I'm able to insert the wedding into any conversation. Like you tell me something devastating just happened in your life. I'm like, funny, you know, my marching band just canceled at my wedding, which they did. They did cancel this morning. We were going to have like a high school marching band play like a fun song at the beginning. So if you're listening to this, take my idea, but just plan a little earlier than I did because they pulled out. I'm just going to take this as a moment to be strong for the community. And I really think it's like rejection is protection. It's not happening for us and that's okay. So we're just going to move on and live, laugh, love our way through the next three weeks. I'm hoping that was like the worst of the disasters, but I just have a feeling, knock on wood, that it won't be. So needless to say, I need a break from myself, from my wedding, from everything. And what better topic as an escape from the wedding process than talking about a fresh divorce? Um, Cheryl Burke came on our show this week, and she was incredibly honest and vulnerable about the divorce that she is currently going through with Matthew Lawrence, who most of you know is from Boy Meets World. And they announced their divorce in January 2022, and it was finalized, I believe, in September of 2022. At the same time as her divorce, Cheryl was also divorcing from another love of her life, which is the show Dancing with the Stars, which most of you probably know Cheryl from. She's been on for 26 seasons, which is absolutely insane. So while she's closing one chapter of her life, which was her married life to Matthew Lawrence, she is also separating herself from a show that defined her and was her claim to fame, quite frankly. So she was super vulnerable with us and open about that process. She was open with us about her sobriety and her version of rock bottom, which didn't look so much like rock bottom from the outside looking in, which is obviously something that I really appreciate because this that's what this show is all about. Basically taking the people that you look at and see as succeeding and beautiful and perfect and all these other adjectives and kind of stripping it down, peeling back the curtain and saying, look, I was actually at the most devastating time in my life when you guys thought everything was going great. So Cheryl's a perfect example of that. She was unbelievable on this episode so brutally honest and so generous with her truth. And I'm so grateful that she is a self-described oversharer. In more exciting news, Cheryl just recently launched her YouTube show called Diving Deep. It's super interesting what she does. So she does this thing called diamond painting, which was a hobby that she picked up over the pandemic. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's essentially paint by numbers, but with like tiny crystals. So you take this tool, kind of like toothpick looking thing, and individually place these teeny tiny microscopic diamonds or rhinestones on a sheet of paper and make this art. It sounds pretty cool and interesting. And basically what she does is she uses that as a tool to have more expansive conversations because she figures that she can be a better listener, but that also people are more comfortable sharing when there's like a more tactile thing to do while they're talking. It's almost like art therapy in a way. She'll explain more about it in this episode. But I just love that more women are creating shows surrounding vulnerability and highlighting the hard times in our lives. So let's get right to it. Let's not waste any more time. Here is Cheryl Burke. Thanks for having me. I love your podcast. I love how open and honest you are. So um, this is my type of podcast to listen to and be a part of. Cheryl and I are both in green, which I don't know if you, I mean, some of you guys can tell because we'll we'll put some of this on video, but we're both in green. We're very aligned. 
Also, your YouTube series, which is aptly titled Diving Deep, focuses on a lot of the same stuff Tell Me About It does. Like we have a lot of these deep, sometimes painful and very vulnerable conversations. But you put a twist on your YouTube series that we don't have over here at Tell Me About It. You use diamond painting as a means to open the door to have more of these soul-bearing conversations. Right. I mean, always. I'm. People say it's oversharing. I just say, actually, it's just me being me. So if you find that oversharing, you could uh, just swipe on by. Exactly. And oversharing, we get more connection. We live a life right. of honesty. We live out loud, I, I call it. So I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, it is also healing. You know, like the worst thing to do ever is to suffer in silence, right? So diving deep has been like two, three years in the making. I, since my sobriety and since the pandemic, I Googled, so I Googled in the beginning of the pandemic, like hobbies for adults, because my hobby was <laughs> dancing, but now it's my job. And I so- I think we all did that. <laughs> Can I just say for a second? I think we all did that because how many times have you been asked like at a party or something, what are your hobbies? And you're like, fuck, I don't even remember my name. Yeah, you're like, I have nothing. <laughs> yeah, nothing. Like yeah. who has hobbies? I know. So, and I love, you know, you can't take the rhinestone out of the dancer. So um, it's basically, it's pretty tedious. It's like paint by numbers, long story short. It's a sticky canvas with a key to the right hand side and you are putting rhinestones one by one on this canvas that can take up to like years to finish if it's big enough. Anyway, I was like, you know what? I realized during this time when I started doing this, mind you, I loved every single second and I still do it to help with my anxiety. It really does make me a better listener. It helps Mm. me be able to really have a discussion in this present moment without thinking or worrying about something I can't control in the future. So we went live on my Instagram. People loved it because I got my friends who were answering really personal questions and they didn't even realize what they were doing because they were diamond painting, right? So it was like I was manipulating them in a good way. And And, you know, even for me, like I wouldn't have had the balls to really ask these types of questions. And so I decided, you know what, let's try and do this, like actually do this in person instead of via Zoom. And everyone has been really responding to it well. And it has been a resource for me as far as healing goes. And I feel like it's been a while that I feel like I'm actually giving back and being of service to people. I don't know if you have ADHD, but I I feel like that's a, yeah, me too. So it's a symptom of ADHD. And like when I was in school, I would be drawing while I was listening. And and back then, like, you know, that was frowned upon. So I would like hide it. And even when I started this show, I, my producer will tell you, I would put the screen up. I'd tilt the screen up and I would play with silly putty while I listened to people because it was so hard for me like you were saying, like to not interrupt, to, you know, to listen for long periods of time. So it's so brilliant that instead of tilting your, you're actually being more honest than I am and (laughs) forthcoming because you're like, no, we're going to do this. We're going to show you that we're doing this. And it's a different kind of conversation you can have when two people are tactically working on something and something that's so detail oriented. You're literally placing like a microscopic, not really microscopic, but tiny (laughs) rhinestone on paper with like a little yes. tool. It sounds so crazy. Like a lot of people are like, my daughter loves doing this. And I'm like, I'm 38 years old. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, whatever. It doesn't I'd matter. I'd like to hand it to you for coming up with the first unique hobby I've heard of in years. Thanks. Like you didn't just go for reading. You didn't go for scrapbooking. Reading? Went, Girl, yeah. I got too much ADHD to even understand <laughs> right. what I'm reading. It's all about audible. But I, let me tell you when I diamond paint and I've been, this is the reason why I've been so heavy and such an advocate for mental health. 
it's, I'm just curious about it in general. I always have been, but really being able to do these online courses and not fall asleep or, or to listen to Audible instead of read a book. I've always had comprehension problems per my mm-hmm. doctor when I was a kid, but really it's yes. ADHD. Like I'm thinking about what I'm having for lunch as I'm reading, you know? And so it's like, it's not that I'm not capable of understanding. It's just that my brain is very busy. I'm such an advocate for meeting yourself where you're at. Yes. You know what I mean? Instead of like I was like doing it in secret and trying to stop it. Right. Meet, like really just being like, oh, no, I'm going to do this is where I'm, I'm most naturally comfortable yeah. having these conversations. And I would imagine other people function in a similar way. Right. You know, so like, of course, these are just you're able to have such expansive conversations by yeah. doing this little task. And it's just another resource. Like for me, you know, like, look, a lot of people have so many other things that maybe they like to crochet or they right. like to, you know, play with silly putty, it, whatever actually works for your brain just to try and as much as possible just stay in this present moment without worrying about something we can't control because like all we can really do is live right this second right so totally I need to congratulate you because you are a woman after my heart and fought for your rights to have full soul custody of your dog oh my gosh my dog has gotten me through, I would say, a very um, much of a emotional roller coaster, especially last year, 2022. Of course. And she doesn't talk back. Hello. The best she doesn't have of- an opinion, but maybe she does. When I saw that headline for you, I have to say, I was like, this woman is a woman after my own heart. And I would throw hands. Like, I would truly fight to the death. Yeah. For custody of my dog. But it was your dog. It, well, it was a gift, right? So she was From a gift. From him. Yes, correct. And mind you, look, I, I understand that maybe he had, obviously, he loved the dog too, you know? It's just, it's been a long time now since we chose to break away from each other and to separate and it, it's been like a year and this dog has only been with me so right she's my she literally is my service dog yeah uh, she helps me with my anxiety she really does anyway I'm just happy though you know what it's thank like- god thank no I'm so happy for you so I'm so excited that you're on today I mean we could talk about doggy court for 20 <laughs> minutes because I really I just I'm dying to hear about that because honestly like even talking I was talking to Laura Wasser yeah I had her on my podcast uh-huh yeah she's amazing and I asked about dogs. It changed. Wait, what do you mean it, cha- it changed? The rules like changed. The- they used to treat dogs like property. They don't anymore. And what do they treat them as now? Like offspring? <laughs> no, they basically analyze everything about the caretaker, the money, the who, you know, all of it. You know, who uh, took the dog for a walk more than the other person? You know, considering the fact, obviously, that... I was working and like, but regardless, you know, she's not, Frenchies are high maintenance. She's not as easy as what people like. This dog has better. I want to come back my next life as my dog. This was an emotional New Year's for you because of the past year that you've had. It was quiet. It was a quiet one. Like normally I was telling my uh, friend the other day, I was like, normally, you know, you're like planning. I'm like in Vegas. This is also before I was sober. And it's like, it's always a thing, right? You're like, I hate what am I gonna, I freaking hate any. It's the fucking like worst. I am a hermit in my home and I Me too. am proud of it. I know I'm not going to meet anybody here in my closets, but like, I'm hoping one day I will because Going out gives me so much anxiety, but um, though I'm forcing myself to, but we'll get there later. As the countdown was happening, it was kind of like a, it was freeing. There was no expectation. It was like, there's only one way to go from here and that's up. And mind you, I didn't know that I had the dog yet. So there was a lot of, I guess, anxiety, but then also 
as soon as that countdown happened, I just felt like, oh, there was some sort of peace that hit me because it's like- And freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is a sense of, I've said this recently and I feel like I'm still working on it and I'll forever be, but I am alone, but I'm not lonely, you know? And it's like, there's, there's a different definition for both of those words. And there is a lot of empowerment with that because you have no choice but to turn inward as cliche as that sounds, but it really has been a huge learning experience. And I've learned so much this past year, especially in 2022. Mm. Yeah. You had a transformative year and we'll break that down. Mm. How long was the legal process with the dog? How long was that hanging over you? Like when did you know he was trying to get custody? I think it was like right when we got officially divorced. So September? September. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a long time for you to be like in limbo. That was like during my last season of Dancing with the Stars. So it was like the S- September when we got divorced was the day of the premiere of my last season. I did, yeah. Mind you, I found out through the press first because it was like, you know, because it's a public knowledge. So people, you know. Okay, that's a unique experience. A lot of people don't know what that's like. They know what it's like to get that news just in a privacy. But not to be in a dance costume and cha-cha and shimmy. Right. Pretending you're happy. Yes, like this was your last season of Dancing with the Stars, right? And you have been on it for 25 or 26 seasons? 26 seasons? That's unheard of. That's truly like you are really having an incredible rebirth. And I would imagine like so much of it is positive, but it's uncomfortable for sure. Like those last months of 2022 were probably so brutal. I was a hot mess. And I was like, and it's all fear-based, obviously, you know, like I, to live in the unknown, which is actually every, every day we all do, right? We don't know what the hell's going to happen in an hour from now. That's really that this whole life that we live in here on this planet is all uncertain, except for this moment right now. But still, there's a lot of changes, like both personally and professionally. I mean, as far as my marriage goes, it it was kind of like, I knew it was coming. Like, I think the hardest part was during the last parts of us being together, right? Like those last Mm -hmm. couple of months. And then there's the grieving, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other relationship that I had been in for the past 26 seasons, which was my relationship with Dancing with the Stars. And, you know, maybe it was a little overwhelming, or it was. And maybe if you were to see it, you're like, wait, what? why are you doing this to yourself? But I truly believe that I'm on this you know, journey at the moment in my life where it's like, I have to practice what I'm preaching because how do you grow any type of respect for yourself or love for yourself if you're contradicting yourself with your personal and your professional life? Like they all work together regardless. Like it has to, and I have to continue to move forward and not feel stagnant. There is a very potent moment, I think, when you realize that you have to keep promises. You can't lie to yourself. And I know that sounds so simple, No, but it is an actual realization that hopefully you have as early on in life as you possibly can. Mm. But it is one of those things where you're like, oh, this doesn't start externally. This starts internally. And that's the hardest thing in the world because like you have inner child wounds that you're battling against every day and trying to maintain this version of you that you want to be. But there's you're constantly battling against a version of you that wants to stay as is, wants to stay stagnant or wants to stay busy or wants to numb using using drugs or drinking alcohol. Like there's so many distractions in this world, but like what you hopefully at some point, and some people may not ever realize this and that's okay too. You're going to have to point the finger at yourself, like you said, and take accountability and nothing. Let me tell you, nothing, no matter what, 
will ever outside of yourself fill your cup up other than you like nothing and I mean it and I've gone through so many different from the outside looking in you're like my life is so glamorous I come from being a competitive dancer to all of a sudden being on the number one show like you would think right that my life is just like what could she be talking about now or complaining about now it's not about that it's like really the more that I was exposed to this lifestyle I've been here for 16 years now the more empty I felt inside. Mm. So nothing, Mm -hmm. let me tell you, nothing fills your own self-respect and own love for yourself other than you. And that has to be worked, like you said, from the inside out. Right. And that's some of the hardest work. Like sometimes being honest to yourself is harder than being honest to 5 million people. Right. But how can you be honest to 5 million people if you don't know who you are? Exactly. So yeah, I think that, you know, a lot of people who maybe haven't been through a breakup or a divorce or anything like that don't really realize the actual day in and day out of those last moments Mm -hmm. where like it's, you know, that you are out of love or that's kind of been decided, but maybe not fully Mm -hmm. in, you know, legally, maybe it hasn't been processed yet. Mm -hmm. But those moments of you're deciding who's going to live where, who's going to do what, what's this process looking like? Was that just hell? And how long did that transitional period last? Like, were you living with him past the breakup at any point? No, we had a, he was living with me in my home. So, okay, and we had a prenup. So everything was pretty squeaky clean on that side. So you were married for two years. Mm hmm. And when did you feel like you realized maybe this isn't right? Um, Look, I think people evolve, right? And hopefully, like we talked about a little bit ago, it's really about, for me, what's the most, like one of my non-negotiables is really growth and being open and knowing that we're all as individuals, not as a couple, like we're still an individual person. We're all works in progress. And if you don't feel like you need to do any work whatsoever, or if you're doing work for somebody else, thinking that you're perfect, there's a problem for me for that, like that that specific point there. And I'm not saying that this is what my ex thought about or did or whatever. But, you know, during this pandemic, you were really able to see each other for who you are. And, you know, I was blessed enough to still be able to do Dancing with the Stars. Like we still continue, you know, the show must go on, but with no audience. And, you know, a lot of people were stuck in their homes. And, Mm -hmm. but still it was really, again, there's that lonely versus alone. Like you could have all the people living with you in your home, but you could still feel very alone and lonely. Absolutely, And it really was, When you go through your different, I guess, stages in life, you have different emotions running through your body. You know, you have hardships. It's, it's, it really, it comes down to that foundation. And Mm -hmm. if it's not there, or if someone's on a different path of growth and maybe that person is doing something else and is, his passion could be towards something else. It's like people grow and unfortunately we grew apart really. So, I mean- it's pretty simple without me like saying, you know. <laughs> totally, totally. But that's often, that's not in the movies, you know, just growing apart. <laughs> oh, none of this shit's in the movies. Right. And it's usually like explosive. And it's like, that's why I think it's so important to talk about things like this. But I think it's important to recognize that there's a withdrawal, a chemical feeling like withdrawal when you go through a divorce or when you go through a breakup of any kind, right? Like the the hormones. It's it's grieving. It's, your, it's like a death. Totally. Mm-hmm. And- You have been sober for four years now? Four and a half almost, yeah. Four and a half. So while you're maintaining your sobriety, you're also 
technically withdrawing from the hormones and grieving mm-hmm. what you had with this other person and you're leaving a career that you've been doing for 16 years. Mm-hmm. How did you manage your day to day and what were those darkest moments like? Like I rather than saying like here are the 10 steps to getting over a breakup. <laughs> tell me like b- the shit. Like tell me like did you smoke a pack of cigarettes a day? Did you eat like so much ice cream? Like what did those dark moments look like? Are you a crier? Are you a screamer? Like what did those dark moments I'm a moments diamond look painter. Like? No. Yeah, God bless. Um so okay, lots of not getting enough sleep, you know, like yeah. sleepless yep. nights. I tend to, because of my the work I do with my sobriety and the 12-step program, it really is one day at a time, right? Mm-hmm. So, And I n- have noticed a huge shift in my perspective when living truly one hour at a time sometimes or one minute Absolutely. at a time. I'm a huge advocate for therapy. My therapist, I would say more than any other person, including any family members, she has been holding my hand through this whole process. Mm-hmm. And she's been in my life for like 15 years, you know, so that was expensive. (laughs) I fucking bet. My therapist was that non-biased person Mm -hmm. who I turned to quite a few times a week. And I just know, trying to continue to be on the path of self-awareness, that if I can't look in the mirror and really say to myself, okay, I feel like strong enough to not pick up a drink again, or I feel mm-hmm. I like, I love you and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like to be, yeah. cause like I, it's not easy for me to show my feelings though. It's easy right. for me to be vulnerable with my words. I'm not a huge crier, but alone I'm learning to feel my feelings. That's a very important distinction to mm-hmm. make. I feel that myself. Like I am very verbally open and I can talk about things, but it is hard for me to be vulnerable in those similar ways. Right. It's, it's, it's almost interesting... like I'm telling someone else's story, though it's mine. A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> but I also, I don't know if it's because of, of my dance background, but I'm super aware of, I also have a somatic therapist as well, which basically is, um, I'm not sure, I'm sure yeah. you've heard of somatic, no, just, right? Yeah, tell everyone though. Please. Yeah, it's really about, it's you hold trauma in the body. It uh, Somatic came from Dr. Peter Levine and he studied animals in the wild, long story short. And basically, you know, when your dog shakes, they're shaking trauma off their bodies so they don't I hold shake on. like on the regular like no like really? intentionally to no to like make myself yes, calm down to let it all go. the time yeah I think I'm better with interpreting my feelings through my body than I am with my mouth right like mm. making sounds and trying to put it into words it's a lot harder for me which is why yeah. I have both and basically I started feeling in my body feelings that didn't feel good right mm. and I would literally ask myself questions what do I do do I stay do I go mm-hmm. And my body, your body actually does tell you what you, you should do. Score, it really right? does. Yeah, that's a great yeah. book. Yeah, I love that book. So what was four years ago, like 2019 or 18? 2019, right when we got engaged, basically. Okay. So I want to focus for a second on the specifics of your particular addiction story, more specifically your quote unquote rock bottom. And that's obviously a controversial term. Some people have rock bottoms. Some people don't believe that they have rock bottoms. Your rock bottom, as you've described it, didn't look much like a rock bottom to other people or from the outside looking in. You were at the top of your career. You were on television succeeding, doing the cha-cha every day. And it didn't really look like anything was wrong on the surface. Yes, because on paper, I was very successful when drinking, meaning like, if you were to look at everything on paper, right? Like just the income, the success with Dancing with the Stars, you know, all of it. It's like 
there was a sense of, okay, well, maybe I need to just continue doing what I'm doing. And the reason why is because if I don't do it, I get very heady, right? Like I overthink everything in my mind and it goes like, oh my goodness. That's why we numb. Right. And exactly. Or we don't want to feel, I mean, it's not black or white, but it's like there's a bunch of stuff that sometimes gets in the way of your success. And I now being sober for so many years in my eyes, not like so many years, but four and a half years is pretty long for me. And it's interesting because this is why I drank, I think, was because like I am OCD. I am (laughs) overthinking things. And I think the rock bottom was the fact that I was at my peak, maybe, right? If you were to say that, like, I guess from the outside looking in, like two Mirabal trophies, you know, so many seasons and she got married, but really I wasn't happy inside, obviously from poisoning myself, but I was also a very much a a functioning drunk. You wouldn't know. I would still look like this, still talk like this, even if I was drunk. You were such a high functioning addict, you know, and when even when you wouldn't drink, people would say, like, what's wrong with you then rather than what's wrong with you when, like, when you were actually intoxicated. Because right. You were more in your head and you were different. Yeah, I'm definitely more of an introvert at heart. Um, but then the drinking, so I thought, was what got me socially to get out there and be social and to actually start a conversation. Like when I first moved here, I don't think anyone really understands this. I, I was so camera shy. They had to literally like feed me alcohol sometimes because I couldn't talk. Like I couldn't put a complete sentence together to save my life, nor project. Like this is, and I'm still pretty monotone. Like this is as loud as I could go. Like even I'm like this happy, sad, angry, you know, this is the same person. But when I first moved here, I had no identity. And it was interesting that, you know, the show has really, it helped with me finding my own identity and self in that sense, because I could not even tell you what my favorite color was. No, I think that's so important. Like there was not just the discomfort being silenced and numbed. It was also your identity, some oh, yeah. aspects of your identity. So that kind of rock bottom, the kind where to everyone else, you're doing what you should be doing, you're succeeding, you're kind of getting rewarded for this behavior, for better or for worse. That, to me, is a harder rock bottom to walk away from. Because while you're succeeding and while you've built this mountain of success while using, I would have the thought, fuck, am I enough sober for all these people that fell in love with me or became fans of mine when I was drunk? That would terrify me. What made you ultimately quit drinking? It was all um, material things. So it was the fact, it was vanity. The fact that I started after my dad had passed away, I got back, he was living in Thailand and my ex and I got back and all of a sudden after just having a regular just cocktail like I normally would, a Tito's Mm -hmm. club soda with a splash of lime was my poison Mm -hmm. of choice. I broke out into hives. So like the poison that I was feeding myself daily for God knows how many years was actually no matter what I drank. So I had a shot of tequila, hives. Like, what a kind of blessing in a way. It was a huge blessing because mind you, and also a blessing that I wasn't so, that I guess I wasn't at that point where I was like, I don't care if I have hives. Like I'm going to continue to drink, you know, but I think the death of my father really was a turning point in every aspect of my life from my mm. fiance at the time because there was no for, there was no closure with that I know, I still don't know and I never will know how he died mm. and then there was that old relationship 
that I was, you know, still mourning in general from when my dad left and all of this. So there's trauma behind it all and unanswered questions that I had to finally just, you know, throw the gloves in. And I think that was definitely affecting me in every aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. So your dad struggled with addiction as well. Yes, he's yeah. okay. So and and just to clarify, like he wasn't was he actively in your life in your childhood or was it more your mom and your stepdad? No, my mom was the one that had full custody. My father, he was like a best friend, you know. I mean, he know he knew stuff more than my mom will ever know about me because of there was no judgment there, you know. Right, but so so you'd see him often, but you via. Were- I mean, not all. I mean, like my mom and stepdad actually, which was great. Like she made sure I continued to have a relationship with him. So they, we would all make it a family trip every year and visit him in Thailand. <laughs> but my dad used to own strip clubs, so like we were literally in this little town city called Pattaya. With the but I mean, my dad owned a strip of strip clubs like Vegas. So like he was in that world, which wasn't very safe, to be quite honest. Right. The painful thing often about addiction is that when it's someone else in your life, if it's a parent, if it's a sibling, if it's a significant other, whomever it is, it can feel inherently selfish. I know many people who have felt, including myself, that in a way that person was choosing the drugs or their high over you. And I think when you actually are the one struggling with addiction, it's very clear that it's not an active choice between your loved one or the drugs or the high or the alcohol or whatever it is. It's not a choice as deliberate as that. You are just trying to survive and make it to the next day by any and all means possible. I would say the core, 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 and I can only speak for myself, I wasn't thinking of anyone else. I was thinking of how I am going to survive all the trauma that I haven't dealt with yet, with right. all the emotions that I haven't just I haven't chose to feel yet. You know, like this is why it's important. We it all works together. It's a domino effect. Like if we can just feel our feelings at the time the feelings come up, we won't continue to keep pushing them down and then having to numb because we don't want to continue to feel it because it's just going to come back tenfold, right? Like and right. it's like. We just, we are all about fixing everything right now. And there are no Mm -hmm. quick fixes. They're just not. Mm -hmm. Like no matter Mm -hmm. what, there's nothing that's going to make years of trauma all of a sudden take a pill, do this. It's not, you're just temp, it's temporary, right? So so it's like, and this is why people say it's a lifelong process and it just matters how long you want to live right? Like how long do you want to be on this planet with and your loved ones? what kind of life do you want to live? But I truly believe it's because of the pain inside is why, you know, I can't say that I would like my sister, she's really close to me, like to say for me that like I chose uh, alcohol over her. It, I wasn't even thinking about her, you know, and, and there's been lots of therapy because of it. And it's like, it's more about like, how am I going to wake up really oh, and get out of, of bed course. and take a shower? And that is kind of your way of thinking of her. Do you know what I mean? Because you're kind of saying like, how do I be normal for these people? How well, do yeah. I show up for these people? How do I show still? up how do I, in general? How do I show up in general? Exactly. You know? So it is just a means to an end, you know, to yeah. try to like get by as best you can. And that is another important realization that there is no way out other than through with right. trauma and all of that. Yes, there really and it's isn't. 
sucks. My dad always says trauma is like styrofoam. It doesn't decompose, decompose, whatever. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it it doesn't decompress, doesn't decompose. It doesn't go away. You know, (laughs) no matter how much you try to bury it. So I want to go back to your childhood and just talk about where maybe some of the, you know, the trauma originated in you. I know your parents got divorced when you were two, Mm -hmm. right? And you said your first childhood memory was what? My father, um, I remember him being with another woman sexually. Like they were intimate. Okay. And you were there for that. You saw I was wanting to him to change the channel. I it was like it was yesterday. Listen, wow. you know, with trauma, you're not necessarily the timeline isn't necessarily spot on. Um, mind you, you know, for example, like my my old assistant was like, you didn't go to trial when you were this age because I wrote a book about it and it was like a different age. But this is what this is part of the trauma. It's like you don't want to remember. Right. So you're like, again, like you're just making like not the story up, but like the age and the timeline. So maybe it was three, maybe it was four. Cause if any doctors are listening, they're like, you don't remember shit when you're two. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'm just like, you know, take it with a grain exactly, of salt about exactly. the exact age. But I do remember, didn't know that my parents were separated, but my, I was visiting my father and I remember sitting in his brown leather chair and I wanted to him to change the channel from Sesame street to God knows what Barney and friends. I don't even know who was out then, but like, (laughs) and so, and then I tried to get his attention and he was with this naked uh, woman and uh, that's all I remember. In the same room as you? No, different room. Different room. Okay. Yeah. But you knew what was going, I mean, like as much as a Well, I didn't interrupt them because of that. Yeah. They were busy. (laughs) Ugh, I'm so sorry. Okay. So then from there, your mom got sole custody, Mm -hmm. right? And then you would visit your dad. Well, it wasn't even, they didn't even fight about it. My dad just left. Like he- he followed his passion, which is uh, starts with a P and ends with a Y, you know, and uh, he loved the Philippines. So he first, my, mo- my mother's Filipino. So he definitely loved Asian women. So he moved to the Philippines and then moved to, over to Thailand and opened up a bunch of strip clubs. But that's an important distinction to make that, you know, it wasn't like your dad fought for custody for you and your sister and then it was decided no, that was horrible he, yeah it was like an abandonment right away i had and this is why i, I am anxious attachment i right. don't know if you've heard of all right. those attachments oh of, please of course yeah. it's like my i love it's like porn for me like yeah, i love seriously. talking about all that kind of stuff i love, I love it diamond painting and that type of porn i'm we all about we should hang out we definitely if you're into arts and crafts girl let's do it <laughs> it might just get too deep too and then let's just watch deepak chopra seriously yeah. i would love it <laughs> Okay, so then you moved in with your mom and your stepfather came shortly thereafter. Like, when was he in the picture? No, because my mom, so my mom had started a company. So she came from the Philippines, long story short, married my father, and she created a nursing company in 84 when I was in her belly and turned it into a start from a startup into a multi bajillionaire freaking company. Good for her. She couldn't speak English. You know, like she started from, she came from poverty in the Philippines, 10 brothers and sisters. There was no toilets in their province that they are from. I experienced it. My mom wanted to show me where she came from, you know, and it was pretty hardcore. And she was a woman of independence who worked her ass off to put food on the table and to help me do and support my other extracurricular activities like dance because I wasn't great at school like by any means. So she uh, gave me a life that she wished she only had. And she definitely wanted me to continue a relationship with my father. And I was exposed though to, you know, those strip clubs at a very right. early age. And I grew up fast because of the dance world. And right. I had sex when I was really young because I would say because of the dance world, you know, like I traveled the world. I already traveled the world by age 13. I didn't really, I've seen it all, you know? Right. So, but 
you know, that's there's an important part of that story, which is that there was a man that came into your life, right? Mm-hmm. Because your stepfather needed someone to take care of you because your mom was probably busy, like working, right? Right. No, no. So he actually, so my mom and stepdad met when I was around like six, seven. And then with that came my stepsister from my stepdad's previous marriage. And he already was using this person to take care of her. And then he naturally came into our life because my mom, I had like a 24 hour nanny from the Philippines who was amazing, didn't speak English. You know, I can I can definitely understand the language because of her because she'd speak yes. to me in Tagalog. I'd speak back. Just so in you know, English. I was raised by an army of Filipina yes, women. So like, the best. I'm li- you have no. I They're the best nurses, freaking no, caretakers ever. I owe my whole life to them. Like I truly like. Have you ever had Filipino food? I I eat it. I eat adobo and rice every day. My nanny still. God, my- I love you. We're hanging out now. So with my stepsister and my stepdad came this man who would drive us around. It was like a grooming type relationship where it was like he saw you know I would assume saw that we weren't really raised in a normal household of like mother father there constantly you know it was I came from you know after my mom obviously was very successful with her company my stepdad came into the picture and he has his own dental practice you know we we were living a great life and there was money was never an issue you know, thank God, because of how hard both parents worked. But also with that comes not really being present right there. So my mom would come home late nights, you know, and once in a while when she did come home early, it was like from the intercom, Cheryl, let me see your homework. You know, like it was never Mm -hmm. like a, let me tuck you in bed. And that's what my Filipina nanny was. Recently, when I uploaded some stuff onto my YouTube channel, I saw old VHS tapes that I got transferred. And it was really crazy because I saw the man that molested me and wow. it was the craziest experience. It was like during a Thanksgiving dinner and my whole family was there and he was just there like lurking. And oh. it was interesting to see their body language, right? And like right. me as this little girl, which is which was so, I mean, I couldn't sleep for like days oh, after because it was so disturbing, but also so real. Like it was like, I was literally a fly on the wall, like as who I am now. I know there's lots of therapy, like a therapist would recommend doing this, I'm sure, but right. within like a like a supervision, yes. <laughs> because it's like there's a lot of emotions that came up, but it was fascinating to see the denial almost. And in the Asian culture, it's not necessarily something to talk about. They don't really, you know, my family, at least I'm not going to say generally, but like, you know, they didn't talk about feelings, <laughs> nor did they show it. Like that's a sign of weakness. And let alone of like this, you know, whole thing. So there's a lot of like uh, ancestral trauma that goes back way before I was even thought of. But then there's also the trauma of, yes, being groomed. He never hurt me physically, which was crazy, right? Because you would think that that's what you think of. Like it's almost like maybe rape, but that's not what happened. But he never had intercourse with me, but he would have oral sex with me. And but it was like in a weird, gentle grooming type creepy way. Mm-hmm. So like nothing that was ever distinctly painful. So no. like maybe you didn't have that feeling that it was. Well, that's wrong. why I think that's part of the reason why I didn't feel threatened in that sense. Like right. It, and also, you know, the main reason why he was actually put in jail was because my stepsister's friend he tried to do that too and she pushed him in our pool ran home to her parents as you should told right. her mom and dad as you should and they called my parents and that was it. Wow. So she didn't necessarily see it happening to you. He tried to do it to her. Yeah. And that's when she. Yeah. So how many years was that? I would say a solid two, three years. I could be totally wrong. 
Okay, my no, timeline with trauma. No, that's the thing with trauma. <laughs> yeah. like, you, for better, or for worse, like I, your brain I, tries definitely to years you. though. Like I would say, yeah. like, years, not like five years. It, a couple of years. I'll put it that way. Right. Right. So when you were six, seven, and eight, you were saying, mm-hmm. and then so you were try- a baby. Oh, yep. Yeah, you know, yeah. like a complete baby. So we, I assume you didn't tell your mom this was happening before the friend. You didn't realize it was wrong before the friend told her. Right? Well, I think I may have like my Filipina nanny who didn't understand what I was saying anyway. Like I think yeah. that she must have. But like you're talking now, now this is not like this has nothing. She's not like blood. She wasn't blood related, but she was also very old and like also came from that culture where it was like you know, naturally, probably you would go and tell the parents, right? Like, or something was off. You probably felt it. There was probably an intuition. Something's not right. Where are they? Like, he's supposed to pick her up from school and bring her. Like, I don't know what was going on in her mind. But all I know is that nothing was said, right? Because of who knows? I'm not that person. But um, she has passed away long ago. So rest in peace. But and same with that guy who molested us. Wow, no way. He was that old. I mean, he was pretty old. I read like he was like 60 or something when he I think so. He was like a retired mailman. Okay. So when your stepsister's friend told her parents, do you remember feeling like that was your first time experiencing shame? Did you feel like no, you I were wrong? No, I didn't feel any of that until mm-hmm. I, I think, I mean, the, till I actually took the initiative to see a therapist when I was already here in Los Angeles. I didn't understand any of it. Right. But you testified against him, right? Well, at nine, just to say, yeah, but I, I mean, me and a lot of other people that came out of the woodwork, but that doesn't mean that I, what I knew was what he did was bad, but it was still hard for me to face him. He was sitting in front of, like right there in front of me and oh, here I, I am under imagine. oath, though he didn't hurt me, but I knew mm-hmm. that this was something that I needed to do. Right. So you knew that like he was wrong to an extent or like that he was I knew that he was touching something? me inappropriately and he's right. over age. Yes. Right. Okay. And he's an yeah. old grandpa. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then you, you know, you, he stops coming in your house. Maybe is there like a period of peace after that? I don't, I mean, no, I, there really is no peace until somebody actually holds himself accountable. You know, like the peace, it's still, there's still not a hundred percent peace. Of course. Um, people will have to, you know, for that to happen, it's, it takes work because there was a lot of years where it was just like, you know, like most people do, they just push it to the side or slide right. it under the rug. And um, that is a forever, it's like my sobriety. This will be an ongoing thing. There's forgiveness. Right. Forgiveness, more, not for the act of, but forgiveness because in order for me to move forward, I have to mm-hmm. forgive. Yeah myself as well for the shame and guilt and all of that yeah absolutely no of course because you're functioning from an adult standpoint trying to say like maybe what a kid should have or could have done but they're just completely two different times in your life that you know what I mean no it's more like nurturing or mothering that inner child that is very much a child still sometimes of course yeah so that must have colored your relationships thereafter to (laughs) to say the least hence the abusive relationships after yeah right right so you know what i've heard you explain is like what you were attracted to was abusive or what you thought was normal well that's my that was what felt like home right that's exactly that's what you'd seen yeah Mm -hmm. so did that that started in high school with two pretty bad relationships right yeah and mind you so i had already started ballroom dancing so i i grew up pretty fast i got my period when i was nine so like wow. I literally had the same body as I do now. Wow. Yeah. At like 10, wow. 11 easily. Emotionally, I was still like a 
five-year-old, like someone look at me or hear me or see me. Right, but you were being required to act like, yes. Yeah. Okay. And I was traveling the world at 13 alone. My mom was still running her company, you know, so not alone, but I was with my partner. So anyway, so I was living a double life, going to school because my mom would only let me dance if I, you know, did well in school. And so I had two abusive boyfriends, but that was because I didn't believe I it wasn't and I'm not saying that making excuses for their abuse I'm just saying that for me that's what I thought I that was what love was you know love was the drama love was the abuse I didn't really have a role model in that sense though my mom and stepdad absolutely they're still together to this day but the trauma had already happened to me exactly exactly so when those relationships started to sour you know or turn towards abuse Mm mm-hmm I imagine they didn't, did they start out like that? Like, was it pretty quick? Is that kind of how, is there a pattern? It was a pattern. But I mean, like, mind you, I didn't like nice guys, like my dance partner. So like wholesome, sweet, and I was so disgusted. I'll never forget it by him. But that's something that I want to talk to you about because how do you, people have that in a more benign, like, you know, like they just are more attracted to douchebags, they'll say, or whatever. (laughs) That's a hard thing to heal. But that comes from like, what happened to you? Is exactly. Oh, 100%. But it's like, how do you change who you're attracted to? Do you know what I mean? Like, that must be such a hard thing. Because you talk about what had happened to you. I mean, if you're with a therapist who knows what they're doing, I mean, really, it goes, first of all, the fact that you're even asking yourself that is a great thing, right? Like, congratulate yourself for even being aware that you know that you're attracted to douchebags because some people never get there you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so then that's the first question is taking accountability because like really you continue to date these horrible men who's this common denominator is yourself. Right. Right. So then you ask yourself the question and then hopefully you go to a professional and that professional is certified to tell you and ask you important questions that get your mind going and not tell you what to do, you know? Right. And I think that's like just goes to show and prove the power of therapy, which is that like even those things that you think are almost biological, like who you're attracted to, who no, makes you, who gives you butterflies answer. in your stomach, yeah. you can heal that in therapy, even yeah. that, you know, which is incredible or go about healing. I mean, you could change your perspective in two seconds. You really can. It's amazing. It's really amazing. I want to talk to you about the first abuse you encountered outside of the home. Was it sexual or verbal? I think it was more sexual. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, yeah, it was definitely more sexual. I think that happened probably freshman year. And in your mind, that's just what love was. That's what it looked like. That's yeah. what everyone's relationship looked like. Of the course. jealousy, the control, more from that person. And then thinking that that equaled love, you know? Right. And then was it another relationship where, can you tell me about the man that whipped you with a belt? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. So that it was all a lead up. It's not like, hey, nice to meet you. So it went from the first relationship, which was kind of short term. It was like mm-hmm. six months, eight months. And then it went from another one similar type of energy and personality of very dominating, right? Like Mm. controlling, manipulative, didn't want me to dance, right? So I'd have to like kind of hide that side of things. Didn't want me to look at other men or boys, (laughs) not even men, boys, right? and um, would get really jealous. Like, so those were my like, oh, this is what love is. Like, it was boring to see how 
great. My mom and stepdad got along. Like that was like, oh, how boring is that? Also, yeah. the movies don't help, right? When you start to see like, it's all about the makeup, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what you get addicted to is yes. the makeup. It's like, right? oh, yeah. you fight. And then you have like, it's just like, it's horrible actually right. what we're feeding young kids and children because like really this needs to all be taught in school everything we just talked about needs to be taught in school every movie out there is like a cartoon at this point because it's like it's so much a fantasy it doesn't even like you but it's beautiful it makes you feel good inside to see it but then my parents they were just like so happy but like not happy content and I equated that to boring so I loved the drama, whether that be because I watched Pretty Woman too young or like whatever it was, that was just what I, what I was attracting that. And that's what I wanted. And I loved the makeup and because we broke up a million times. And then the, you know, icing on the cake was actually not that shockingly. It was the fact that I graduated and I wanted to pursue my dance career and I moved to Europe. So Wow. So that's how you got away eventually. Ish. And then I had just eventually like, I mean, there was, uh, you know, it was like, it was a gradual, like, because I needed to be careful. <laughs> of course. But like, yeah. so you didn't even think to tell anyone because that's just kind of what everyone's relationship was like to an extent, right? Or like, I don't that's know what if I was thought? thinking like that or if it was like, I was, there was shame, obviously. Like, I didn't want to say anything to my family. Mind you, I didn't feel like we had that type of relationship with my family anyway. Like I wasn't like, you know what I mean? I mean, that was, that was basically ingrained from the moment I was born. All of us to an extent or so many of us, whatever relationship you're in and as healthy as it is, or how, how, as healthy as you think it is, there's no barometer. Mm -mm. You don't know like what's kosher versus what's not. Like that's why so many people are like, well, he just hit the wall. He didn't hit me. Maybe everyone's boyfriend hits the wall or you know what I mean? There are so many ways that you try to talk yourself out of it and the ways that you try to normalize it. Oh my gosh. That's, and that's the loop. That's like, that's, you have to have non-negotiables and red flags. Right. Because, um, and, and mind you, that just takes work, you know, yeah. and when something doesn't feel good inside, really listen to it. Mm-hmm. That's all I can say, because I'm not going to be here and be like, go to therapy. Like, this is just, listen, I'm, I'm a work in progress. And it's scary when you're in a relationship, whether it be mental abuse or physical abuse, you never want to have this come to Jesus moment because you're like your whole life, you think will crumble. Like you think is very important because if anything, it's going to empower you mm-hmm. and you learn from your m- mistakes or failures, which I don't believe in either word or the de- definition of them, because there is, I mean, really there's, you, you've never heard of a story of someone who's so successful, who's more successful, right? Like right. in that sense, at least like, a good one. I, because right. of success, <laughs> I am success. Like my mother, the poverty is what lit a fire up her ass that made her into who she was. Right. Yeah. So it's like there's always this. Um, We're nothing without adversity. Right. And how boring would life be if oh, everything beyond. was always amazing? Well, that's why you and I started shows about it. Because we're like, we find it that interesting. Yeah. I don't even talk to people. I don't even want to. I don't have patience for small talk with anyone. Me With neither. anybody. Like I refuse, actually refuse. No, I can't do it. I actually like don't know how. That's why I don't leave my yeah. house. I'm just like, please, I'd rather talk to the wall. <laughs> yes. So now, you know. There have been many years since those high school relationships, and now you just got out of another relationship. Was there a progression of healthier relationships until this one, or were they? was it kind of a mixed bag? Oh, for sure. 
Well, the physical abuse stopped then and there. Right. I would say that's like the high school chapter. Then I was really like a, living like an Olympian, right? Mm. So like I was constantly dancing, traveling the world, training to become a champion. And then I turned pro when I was 20. And then I got Dancing with the Stars at 21. But the abuse was always still there, though it was a lot less. Meaning, I don't like to compare abuse. Right. Mental, I think, is just as bad. Oh, of course. So maybe it wasn't less. It just wasn't as physical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like easier to hide, easier to probably talk yourself out of leaving. You know what I mean? Because you were like, it's just... Well, right. Like, I would say maybe everyone that I dated or dated, hence not, I didn't say married, dated. Yes. There was infidelity, you know, of course. But I still chose to stay, right? Mm-hmm. So there you go. No, it's, it's really like, I love hearing about this because there are so many women in the same position that feel like it's a life sentence, you know, of like, of the, that's just who they're attracted to. There's no changing it. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you feel like the past is so long and large that no amount of therapy or work can change that. And I definitely don't believe that. I know you don't believe that. So, you know, it's not, but you also need to know though, too, that the therapy isn't going to save you. Of course. <laughs> like it's not, there's not a magic pill. It's, there's not a, it's not a magician like, you know. But it's again, like that double-edged sword, like we said, like oftentimes your traumas are what gives you even a sense of humor or a perspective or empathy or any of those other gifts. Or do you want to have peace in your heart? Like right. it, how how will you, like people are like, I want to be happy. Okay, great. Like that's amazing. But is that attainable? Is that even real? Like what is happiness? I, You know, for me, it's like, I just want to make it today. Yeah. I just want to make it today and look back tomorrow if there is a tomorrow and just be like still sober yeah and i and you grew hopefully you grow from there you know what i and mean you like, have to be curious you gotta stay yeah, curious exactly like, if you're not curious about like how do you feed your soul or want to be better if you think you're already good you've reached your limit your life is going to be very shallow so now you're still kind of going through this public divorce to an extent although it's over it's still talked about right it's still like I mean, in the, by the, everyone else but us yes right exactly so like yeah. that must be just impossible to deal with that other people's opinions and then even just realizing maybe like that someone else is dating someone online and you you know just not it's none of it's natural do you know what i mean no, like I mean, no. again what what is natural exactly but, um, but none of it is <laughs> is what 90 percent of the population you know what i mean no. they, they can deal with it in the privacy of their home i agree i agree you know, I just live like a hermit, thank God. Yeah, yeah. And I'm very busy, or so I say I am. Like, no, that's I good. There, You know, I am, and I'm busy also bettering myself because, mm-hmm. again, I purposefully don't scroll. I don't scroll, I just post. Mm-hmm. That's like my new motto. It's not really new. I've been doing it for years now because it has affected me in a, on a conscious level to where it has ruined or affected my mental health and my mood. Also, So like, the comparison is what kills me. And so therefore, there's so many people that I've heard say, oh, she did this TikTok and it was because of this post. I had no, I had no Right. No People are going to write the narrative regardless. I found out when everyone else, you know, right. and so it's it's hysterical and it's just a soap opera and I'm not a huge fan of soap operas in right. general. So. No, 100%. And you just want to like excuse yourself from the narrative for five seconds. I'm You're just like- trying to do the trending sound here on TikTok and people are coming at me. <laughs> and mind you, I'm an old person doing TikTok. So I'm like loving it. My numbers, my going, like keep talking shit, people. Because exactly. you're just making my freaking analytics just increase. 
then everyone's gonna go and watch your new YouTube show. Yes. Thank God. I'm like, keep it going. Please keep it going. Exactly. So just know, you guys, PSA, if Cheryl yeah. posts anything keep that talking you think shit. is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> A, keep talking shit. B, yeah. just, she's not doing, it's not, don't take it personal. No, I mean, come on. There are also people who think I have only dated. What am I like? Um, you know, this Virgin Mary that has only had one ex. Like, right. I'm so sorry. I've had a whole life, guys, or maybe nine lives because I've lived a lot, you know, of lives and I've had lots of relationships. So it's hysterical. You're like, I've been through this rodeo before. Like, I, I what the hell? But it is scary how quickly we, when there is someone new in the picture, the comparing between women. But like, mm-hmm. what we, I even do it when I'm just scrolling on my phone and I see a girl. I'm, I mean, I'm a fucking fan still oh, of, course, of, of TLC. Course. Are you kidding? <laughs> I love you. Literally, like I am. A f- I will forever be. I mean, listen, I can say this with peace in my heart, like more power to them and to him. I hope he's happy. I mean, to say like anything negative, I couldn't really like regardless of the person, we're all going to move on. Maybe just one person did it faster. Who knows? Who gives a fuck? <laughs> Like, actually, you know what? This work I've been doing, and this is why, even at me saying that, I'm proud of myself, because, like, you talked to me a year ago, and I'd be like, Beverly Hills Housewives, you know? No, 100%. I'm, like, so impressed. There's so much peace, and that, for me, is priceless. (laughs) Well, that is just a perfect place to stop. We are choosing peace, people. Thank you so much. So fun. Bye. Bye.